oh, that's good because we can talk about Rick's Tesla and then I can bag Musk about Twitter and then they'll disable Rick's Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 29 for the 9th of December, 2022. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna, and I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we take a look at the Google Partner All Stars program. We get an update on the Benny Bank private hack, Paul Dearlove and Bruno Aziza, who are they? And what exactly is chaos engineering? But before we get to any of that, I'd like to introduce the guests of the show today, including the co-host, Dave Wall. How you going, Dave? I'm doing great, man. I love when we've got extra people on the show. I know. It just feels so warm and cozy. It's better when I'm listening to it back afterwards. <laughs> so I just listen to myself. And welcome again for the second time on the show. It's Rick Elsam. How you going, Rick? Hey, guys. And we have a real data engineer here today. I'm so excited because we don't have to pretend to be data engineers. It's Lizzie Reed. How are you going, Lizzie? Hey, Banky. I'm good, thanks. Uh, Honoured to be on the show today. Oh, we're thrilled to have you here. We're thrilled to have all of you guys here. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, uh, what's... Oh, what's that funny, Dave? <laughs> no, I'm just like, actual expert, Lizzie. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And she plays one on the podcast as yeah, well. she does too, right? <laughs> awesome. What's everyone been up to? Rick, Rick, Rick. I hear okay. you bought a new car. <laughs> I, I did, but I need to get – we need to talk about how I got there. Um, and it all started with – so me and my partner um, – this started in August. Me and my partner, we were going through the, thinking yeah. that we need to um, like reorganise our house. It's starting to get a bit cluttered and everything like that. And, and we're thinking, okay, what we really need is a label maker. So, um, so, so off we go, we go off to go to get our, our label maker and everything like that. And, um, we, with our current car, we're starting to realize like, like after a hundred thousand Ks, we, we start looking at like, like rotating them and trading up and we, we do like it, like our current, current car and our brand. It's been amazing. And so we were looking at, all right, let's go test drive and check out the latest models that are out. Um, so we go to this, we go to this car, car yard and, um, and we've been talking about it for a while now about going electric or hybrid because um, we, we like to be sustainable and everything like that as much as we possibly can. And the cost of petrol has been crazy. Um, so we went to this car yard um, and just unfortunately when, when we got there, we just got really terrible customer service. Like uh, we're saying, okay, we're looking at this and this and they go, oh, have you got anything we can test drive? No. Oh, we're not going to have anything till January. Oh, have you got anything that you can show us? Oh, That's no, no, can't, don't think you show us. Like, you basically just did not want to help us. And we're the sort of people that don't get finance <laughs> for these sort of things. Like, I don't believe in getting finance for something that's a depreciating asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then we thought, oh, well, that was disappointing. And then just for fun, we thought, oh, well, let's go check out the Teslas. And both of oh, us. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and both, yeah, both of us were thinking, like, they're out of our price range. Like I didn't want to spend more than a hundred K for a car. Um, and the other thing is a lot of the models that were out at the time weren't really big enough for our needs. Cause we really need an SUV, need something that could fit the dog in. And we like going like camping and that sort of thing. Oh yeah. You can do that in <laughs> Tesla. Well, apparently you can. And that's, that's is what sold, <laughs> this is what sold us. So, 
uh, when we got there, there's a um, new model came out called the Model Y, which is basically the SUV version of the Model 3. Um, so we took it for a test drive and pretty much just instantly fell in love with it. Um, and we ordered one that day as soon as we got back from the test drive. Um, we were told that there was... And what was it? What- how long did it take? What was the lead time on the order? So the lead time we originally told was that we weren't going to get it until February. Um, so, and that's what that, uh, so we thought, oh, yeah, we thought, Here oh, we are. two yeah. months early. Yeah. Yeah. We thought, oh, that's cool. That's no problem. Give us time to plan. Another we- happy Tesla owner on the road. I tell you what, there's just more and more coming. You pull up at the lights. I said the other week and there's three or four of them mm. there and they're just passing me constantly in the road. Well, well done, Tesla owner. <laughs> and uh, you're loving it, I guess. Yeah. So one of the other things was, is that my partner was starting to really, was starting to worry about this decision, you know, cause it's a lot of money to just drop. Um, and so she kept, like, we were looking at all the, I checked out all the reviews, I checked out all the tech, made sure that we're making all the right decision. A week before we got announced that we are going to pick it up, there was a recall notice um, to do with the brake lights. And and then, well, then I looked into it and I said, oh, but there's nothing to worry about, it's just a software update. And it'll fix it. So. <laughs> Bang, fix. Software so, that, so that's recall. Uh, was it over the OTA software update? Uh, uh, like over the air? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was already yeah, updated. It was already updated. <laughs> yeah, it was already updated by the time we picked it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> I got to get me one. But, I really um, have to get me one. <laughs> question is, did you end up getting your labeler? <laughs> yeah, that's we got the labeler. What is a labeler? <laughs> yeah. um, but we barely used it. You teased me with the labeler. Like, was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. thought I thought that was going down the path of a horror story, but no, you ended up with a Tesla at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a budget overrun. That's a that's a that's a project management horror story, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So the part of part of the, the other reasons why we come to this sort of decision because like we started getting so busy and like with the label the label maker and sorting out the house and all the things stuff. So it actually started with we I came up with this idea of running my household like. Um, a business because we get paid monthly, right? So I started doing stand-up calls, the stand-up meetings, agile stand-up meetings, um, and we did. We <laughs> do. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do. We do. Well, I, I'm running a Trello board with my wife, so yeah, you know it's yeah. not much further. <laughs> so we we have we have sprints and everything with our Trello board, yeah. <laughs> well actually oh all right i think uh, ricky you need to have your own show let's have the ricky hour let's make it oh yeah i want to i want to see how running my household you know sprint to sprint i'd like i'd like to see a um yeah i want to see a deck yeah he's dead serious about this too i'm gonna look at his face yeah no i am i'm actually um looking at doing a security audit on my house this week um, I, and I was thinking, yeah, I might have to do a security audit on the Tesla because my biggest concern, my only biggest concern is, is that I think that the tablet, everything's controlled by the tablet in the car, right? There's no knobs, no nothing. That's it's right. Very, That's very, right. It's very minimalistic, which I love. Um, but Drop me a head it, down the street. I'm sure I could find a red team to go and uh, do a physical <laughs> pen test on your house if you like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Cheers. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, all right, all right, come on, Luke, we've got to move on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Rick, love you, mate. <laughs> um, oh, oh, yeah, how, do we, how do we follow that up? 
Well, I, I can, I can segue. What's, I can segue. What's going on at Twitter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from what? From one Musk product to another one, right? <laughs> I just. I, want, I know we drove, we dove into this like a lot last fortnight about yeah. what was going on, but it's just. I saw yesterday uh, another update on the Twitter saga mm. that they turn up on Monday, and all of a sudden, a bunch of the meeting rooms have been turned into bedrooms. Right, beds, oh. desks, lamps just appeared Ooh. in there. No, not a word to anyone. <laughs> and now San Francisco, like the city of San Francisco, is investigating because, like, they've changed the the office. Like, you can't turn it into a hotel or an Airbnb. Well, it's not zones. It's not it's zones not zone for, for it. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, Musk <laughs> thinks he can do what he likes. But, um, don't, Google don't Google allow you to live on campus, hey? Uh, in their San, San Francisco? Do, well, I mean, that's probably under very special circumstances. They probably have it set up and accommodated the right way, right? You can't mm. just... Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to have amenities and showers and all of There's a whole the rest zoning of there, thing on the amount right? of yeah. and cleaning. And it's a, it's, a, it's a whole thing, right? Yeah. But, mm. uh, yeah, when uh, they started investigating, then uh, you know, Musk started complaining about it, saying, oh, they're doing this, but they're not cracking down on, you know, drug policy <laughs> Like, yeah, right. Like, there's more. There's I'm, more I'm than housing like, the homeless. Yeah. I'm housing the homeless. Look at this. This is great. <laughs> the homeless Twitter <laughs> engineers. <laughs> yeah, the ones you put out of a job, buddy. <laughs> oh, anyway, we'll get, we'll keep, keep right, an look. eye on Twitter. Mm. Uh, now, Lizzie, I hear you've been doing some good stuff. What's the uh, What's the Good Data Institute, Institute all about? Before we get into the meat of the show, I want to hear a little about what you've been up to. First of all, it's your first time on the show, so um, we'll move on from all the silliness and we'll, we'll get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself and what you've been doing with these guys at the Good Data Institute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, outside of work, I've been volunteering for the Good Data, good data Institute or GDI. And we're just a network of um, data professionals who volunteer time to do kind of pro bono projects. Um, so, yeah, this week I've been helping set up a project for a um, kind of a community action group in based in New Zealand who run all sorts of good programs like employment services and um, programs to help people get their licenses. Um, and so they're kind of collecting some data, but... Um, sort of don't quite know what to do it, how to analyze it, um, well, sorry, what to do with it, how to analyze it. So we're coming in and helping them kind of design their spreadsheets a bit better and, and build some dashboards. So, yeah, nothing nothing super high tech, but, um, yeah, the dashboard is still kind of king and, and, and the spreadsheets are still king. And um, when you're kind of just starting out, you can, yeah, really get benefit from just setting those things up right. So, yeah, it should be good fun. I think that's amazing. Like, I really love it. I think that probably that's something that we should, like, maybe try and, like, promote. Maybe we can look look up for a couple on the show. That just, like, other, like, non-profits and places where tech professionals can volunteer time because, you know, it's, it's difficult. Especially when we mentioned, like, like pro bono work. I always think of, like, you know, like, legal aid. That's those sorts of services. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure there are areas that all of us can contribute. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, there's a bit of a effort going on at Mantle Group actually, like as in part of the community team teams to try and get more pro bono work happening, like throughout the organisation. So I think that would be awesome because we got so many talented people. Yeah, do a, do a lot of good stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, we have to squeeze it in between all our projects. I mean, it, it, sure, <laughs> yeah. I'd be up for it, yeah, but right now, oh, a bit hectic at the moment. <laughs> I've been part of it um, for about three years, but that sort of ebbs and flows, wow. like um, yeah, kind of, yeah, in between work as you're kind of busy, you might sort of um, step away a bit and then, you know, step step in when you've got a bit of spare time. So it's pretty flexible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah excellent. Excellent. I didn't realise it was that long. That's, that's fantastic, Lizzie. Um, and of course, it is your first time on the show, and as is customary with people that are first time on the show, you have to give us a horror story. <laughs> now, it can be something that you did or something that you a colleague did, uh, you know, you know, the meme, drop the table the first thing in the morning, and I'm sure working in data and uh, ML and, and everything, you've got, you've got some. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, thankfully, uh, haven't dropped a, a prod database, um, <laughs> touch wood, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yet. Haven't haven't got yeah, <laughs> yet. Um, but yeah, I do have a couple of sort of horror stories that come to mind. Um, I think yeah, working with data, um, I think the big one of the biggest challenges you often have when you're kind of testing and deploying things is that it's hard to actually get production like data to test on, and so when you then move to prod, little quirks in the data can yeah cause cause issues. So recently, we had a case like that where there was um. We were ingesting CSV files into Google Cloud and I think there was an unescaped quote in some of the data and had to download this huge file and sift through it and try and find the source of the issue. I think it took a few hours. We eventually got there, but yeah, um, yeah CSV files have a lot to answer for. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a great one, Lizzie. Awesome. All right, guys, let's get on with the news items. Google this week um, launched a new program uh, called the Google Cloud Partner All-Stars program. And uh, I I could tell you all about it, but uh, I'll let Google tell you about it instead. Teamwork is everything. When you get it right, you can change the world. Google Cloud is grateful for the enthusiasm, collaboration, and determination of our partners. That's why we're delighted to introduce the Google Cloud Partner All-Star Program. Each year, we'll recognize individual contributors in marketing, solutions engineering and delivery, and sales for their exceptional achievements. So what makes a Google Cloud Partner All-Star? They're marketers driving strategic programs and events that address real customer concerns. They're solutions engineers embracing customer challenges head on. They demonstrate their expertise through ongoing training and Google Cloud certifications. And they're sales individuals consistently meeting and exceeding joint business goals while aligning on shared objectives to deliver amazing end-to-end customer experiences. These remarkable individuals inspire us and encourage others to follow in their footsteps. Congratulations to our 2022 Google Cloud Partner All-Stars. All right, so as you would have just heard, the All-Stars program is uh, a recognition given to uh, Google partners that work that have done outstanding work in marketing, sales, or in uh, engineering delivery. And I'm very happy to say that uh, GCP Life we, we, we often, we report the news, right? We talk about the news a lot. But today, we're actually making the news. And I'm very happy to say that both Lizzie and myself 
have received the Google Cloud Partner All-Stars Award for Engineering Delivery. To make this even more special, I, I, I didn't realise this at the time, but across Australia and New Zealand, only two individuals are recognised. And both of them are sitting in this virtual room right now. Same virtual room, same company. <laughs> same company. And we're actually in the same city, would you believe? Probably probably only about 40 minutes away from each other. But uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm just going to soak this up for a little bit here. I was absolutely flummoxed. I was, I was just, I, I, I didn't know what it meant. And I, I pulled my phone out first thing in the morning and looked at it and said, what is this? Um, sent it off to you and to Ian and just said, what's going on? And uh, what was your reaction to it, Lizzie, when you saw it? Pretty similar to you, actually. I, yeah, didn't know what it was, sort of pulled it up, thought, oh, this is interesting, and then did a bit of reading and, you know, then I think there are a few congratulatory emails flying through. And, yeah, it was just mm. very humbling and, um, yeah, a huge honour. Absolutely. Humbling and a huge honour, yeah. And and uh, so I had a bit of back, back and forward with a couple of Google guys that uh, we work with, and apparently um, they internally, they – they have a big sort of powwow and make a decision on who they're going to put forward for this. Uh, and then they all sort of come to a consensus on that. And then it's given to the part, the partner um, and the, their management, and then they rubber stamp it. So in this case, it would have been uh, Simon and Troy who, 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 mani- who run uh, Kazna. And uh, yeah, it's given to us. So I, I can't, I can't believe, um, like, for me, I, I, I feel like I didn't do any, I don't, day to day, I don't feel like I do anything special. That's, that's the oddity about it, right? You're very we, special to us, though, Banky. Yeah. Well, apparently too, I am. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about it, Lizzie? Yeah, it does feel a bit out of the blue. Um, yeah. Sounds like you yeah. both have a bit of like imposter syndrome because personally, I think it's well absolutely. deserved. Absolutely, absolutely, Rick. Yeah, like I, I don't <laughs> feel like I do anything special day to day, right? I just mm. do what I feel I'm capable of and what's the right thing to do and solve problems, right? Um, and of course, I host the whole podcast thing that we're, we're doing here today. But um, if if the outcome is that we get recognised like this, it's you know, I. I'm really humbled, but it's fantastic. Well, it's well-deserved for both of you, mm-hmm. and I don't think any of us were surprised. So no. Congratulations to you both. Thanks, Dave. Thank you all, guys. Thank you all. And, look, thanks to the Googlers that um, that made that possible, and, um, you know, I'm hoping that, for me, I want 2023 to be a big year as well. I got, I got a couple of special things in mind for this show, um, and I've got a – recertify on several certs as well. So that's going to keep me busy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I did have a look at doing the data in the ML1 and just went, to do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, let's move on then. I, I've just got, I'm, I'm just basking in the glow at the moment. I've got to move on from that. All right. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky, we've got you on the show here to give us an update on the Medibank situation. Where are we at? What do we know? Okay. And uh, who's, where's our data gone? Okay. So as far as the hackers are concerned, it's case closed. Um, they follow through with all of their threats. Um, the ransom was not paid. Uh, and so, yeah, as of 
two days ago, um, they announced on the dark web that the information is now up for sale to to anybody, probably um, cheaper than what the ransom would have been, but it's still definitely out there. Uh, I think from when we first reported it, the situation got even worse. Um, yeah, with the fact, yeah, I think with everything, everything's, they pretty much got everything. So, um, the final count is 9.7 million current and former customers, including 5.1 million Metabank customers, 2.8 million AHM customers, and 1.8 million international customers. Um, and that includes pretty much the data we discussed last time, which is the, and the biggest thing was the, um, the diagnosis and procedures and everything like that to do with how health information. Um, yeah, just, just uh, shocking breach. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I, <laughs> and so, where are we at with with repercussions in terms of laws and yeah, sure. what's going to happen so, moving forwards? So, the Australian Federal Police have confirmed that it was um, done by a criminal organisation in Russia. Um, and I just wanted to like kind of like stress like some of the media like start going on the whole like Putin Russia sort of bandwagon, but I just wanted to make it clear that this was criminals. Um, based yeah, based in Russia, and and I guess the government was been trying to see what they can do to get the the rush uh, the Russian government to um, I guess work with them, but we yeah, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, mm. well, yeah. unlikely, not exactly, exactly on good terms <laughs> right now. So. No, no, um, and I think the the government also realised that there was like. They did come down hard on these um, on these corporations, organisations like Optus and Medibank to to tighten up their um, their security. And then they all, the government just also has recently announced that they're going to um, firm up their own defences. Uh, so for the ATO, the Sendlink data, and all that sort of stuff. So I think they realise that it's like, hey, maybe we can't talk so much that um, we need to tighten our stuff up as well. So there's um, quite a bit of money that's going to be dumped by the government to to boost up like our government security as well. Radio. Yeah, I actually just got my um like my new driver's license based off that that Optus one. Like it just turned up like two days ago. So yeah. Thankfully I wasn't swept up in the Medibank one, but uh yeah, the Optus one definitely got me. Mm. Yeah. So hopefully this is the wake up call Australia needs. Um but yeah, it's a it's a tough one because of course these criminals work outside of rules and regulation and they don't have to deal with the hassles of dealing with so many people within one big organization and they're talking about tightening up tightening up the australian you know it security posture where do we sit globally like do do you have any feel for that like how if we would take a census across all the organizations are we good or bad or what um honestly you may not know the answer to that rick i can edit it out yeah no that's fine um i think my honest feel is, is I think all of we're all as bad as each other, really. To be honest, um, as mm. a lot of us only really know about what's going on in Australia, but looking at everything internationally, it's happen- it's rampant everywhere, um, and I don't think anyone's immune. Um, and I think everyone yeah. everyone yeah. could be doing more to boost security. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's you know, over the last twelve months, every every week there seems to be a new story about um, some some security tool or security feature that uh, Google's bringing online. Look at the whole Mandian acquisition. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they're posturing to be, you know, to really put that sharp focus on security. Even Mantle Group, uh, I think it's, I think it's well known now. We, we've we've brought on a new. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit short on information here. But mm-hmm. did we? No, we spun up the new security group, didn't didn't we? Uh, yes, we yes. We spun up a new. Sec- yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Cyber at Mantle, yeah. Yeah, so, yep. so I've been brought into this so, into this group to help assist from the Google side and the Casnus side. Yep. Um, and I, and f- we've employed a basically a new security um, person that oversees everything. So there's actually a security CEO that's going to be handling all of that from the Mantle group level. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah so it's, a, it's suddenly in sharp focus, isn't it? I mean... If we're doing it, surely you know mm-hmm. other organisations, other consultancies will be doing it as well. Yeah. So we d- we decided that um, instead of siloing security, that it's best handled from the top, and and that basically we train everyone and we make it everyone's responsibility. And we've done that. We've done similar internally. I mean, without going into details, we our internal domains now we've put security across the board on everything, I and mean, that's how it should be with all organisations, right? Security touches on everything, so you've got to focus on it. You build like that from the bottom up. All right, excellent, Ricky. Thanks for that little update on what's going on with Medibank. Basically, it's keys in lava, and we're not going to get them back. Gone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. A fellow by the name of Paul Dearlove. Now, uh, Paul Dearlove has moved into the head of Google Cloud in New Zealand, and uh, it's quite fortuitous, uh, Lizzie, that we've got you on as well, because uh, as one of your one of your fellows from across the ditch, um, yes, he's uh, he, yes, indeed. I think he's. <laughs> um, I think he's actually um, Australian, but yeah, filling filling the uh, head role of. Um, yeah, leading Google Cloud New Zealand. So that's using leading Google. Well, I, I, as as any good internet sleuth does, the first thing something like this happens is you go and look at their LinkedIn, right? And you find out all about them on LinkedIn. Um, yes, he is in New Zealand. Um, was in Sydney for a little little stint, but the first thing that drew my eye was he was a professional rugby player from um, 20, 2003 through to twenty twelve. Yeah, what an um, all rounder! What an all rounder! So. We'll get into this technical side a little bit. Let's just have, have a little bit of a look at this. Paul Dearlove, um, French-born, there we go, French-born, Scottish former rugby union football player who played for the Glasgow Warriors. Um, scored a try. Um, he represented Australia in under-21s. Um, but uh, the Wikipedia, there's a Wikipedia article on him, put him that way. Um, he... Um, he scored a try uh, in uh, Scotland's tour against New South Wales County on in 2004. So I mean, he's not a uh, he's not a you know he's not a lazy lazy player. He's he was up there. I mean, gee, if you're being considered for a cap uh, for Scotland or for Australia, you're a good player. <laughs> like, there's no doubt about it. Um, Looks like he's so been he, everywhere. I'm just having a look at his, his history. So, yeah. He's been everywhere, yeah. Born in France, but now residing in New Zealand. And, um, you know, coming in on the the heels of or, or just in advance of the New Zealand cloud region? According to Google Cloud, this move signals the company's ongoing v- investment in Atoera. Now, now, Lizzie, you're going to have to help me here because- <laughs> That is the first time I had seen that word. 
So that's the Tereo word for, for New Zealand. It's uh, Aotearoa. Traditionally for the Northern Ireland, is that correct? For the whole country, yeah. For the whole country, okay. I was just looking at the Wikipedia article for it, and I, I think I think that's what they say. But, um, yeah, I think it's been adopted to, to refer to the entire island now, yeah. Uh, originally used for the Northern Ireland, but now it's been adopted for the entire island, yeah. That's where I was. So, um, and is this a thing now? Is it that that traditional name being used everywhere now? There is a bit of a shift now. Yeah, to, to refer okay. to it as Aotearoa. So I think it's gaining momentum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first time I'd seen it in an article. Um, yeah, investment in Aotearoa to meet the growing demand for its cloud services locally and closely follows the recent announcements of its first ever New Zealand cloud region. So there we go. No, I was just wondering, is it, do they use, do they split it from New Zealand? Like they refer to like New Zealand as like the state? Or is it will New Zealand phase off into like I'm just like is one talking about like the land mass and one's talking about like the more meta construct of the country or that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's just you know the European naming versus the yeah the the Maori naming of it. Um, yeah. New Zealand versus Aotearoa. I suspect it's very similar to here in Australia how we um we always give give like thanks and recognition to certain regions like like aboriginal regions within the country. So we always do that like welcome to to country and we always acknowledge the tr- the traditional land. I equate it to uh, Ayers Rock and Uluru. Okay. Right? So Ayers Rock was mm. the European name and eventually Uluru is now called on everyone just calls it Uluru now. Gotcha. Right. But if you're over 40 you remember the name Ayers Rock, right? Um, hey, you know, you've got to be over 40 to know anything decent these days. Well, I'll just <laughs> sign off this podcast then. <laughs> Very soon, Dave. <laughs> yeah, okay, Boomer. Anyway, Mr. D- Mr. D- <laughs> oh, my kids call me that. Don't get me started. <laughs> anyway, let's not diverge. Mr. Dearlove, um, Senior Account Executive, started in SAP 2013. Moved up through the ranks, general manager, head of cloud. So he started with cloud in 2018 uh, and then head of digital core cloud in 2019 at SAP and then made the leap across to Google uh, in 2020 where he was uh, head of SAP in Australia New Zealand at Google. So you can understand the, the transition there, how he's, he's had the perfect skill set to, to move from SAP to cloud and then head of SAP and Google and finally head of cloud. He comes across to me, I mean, if he was a professional rugby player and he played at this, um, you know, this elite level, um, he comes across as the type of individual that would be very goal-orientated, uh, very driven to, um, to f- very focused to complete a task. I mean, to move from a senior account executive in 2013 and in less than 10 years is ahead of Google Cloud in New Zealand. I mean, I can't imagine he'd be anything other than that type of personality. For sure. Well, welcome aboard, Paul, and we'll tag you on LinkedIn. And <laughs> well, we certainly will. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you come across to Oz, then maybe we can get you on the show, perhaps, or we, you know, we can certainly catch up. And if you, if you do a talk, I'll definitely get a recording of the talk and we'll put it on the show for sure. A welcome aboard. All right, Ricky, um, moving on. Ricky, you wanted to look at this story a, a few weeks ago. Um, I am Deny. What's this all about? 
Yeah, so this has just become generally available. Um, it's This is really good. So previously when it came to IAM, like your, your identity access management, um, you can only do allow policies. There was actually no such thing as a deny policy. Um, AWS have had this for a while. Um, so now Google have decided that when it comes to these sort of policies, they're, they're aligning it very similar to, to how AWS is. Um, but what this basically means is, is that through IAM, IAM deny, um, you can significantly like, and easily, I guess, strengthen your, your security posture. Um, different couple of like cases, like for example, you can establish a default security baseline. So IAM deny can be used to set base policies at the organization level, folder level and project level to deny access to resources. So, for example, you can attach a deny policy at the organization level to deny all users access to a sensitive storage bucket and, and then make an exception for a specific user group. Um, so that, that's pre- mm-hmm. pretty, pretty good. I think, yeah, I could see us using that quite a bit. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, the other one is um, so you can also use it to prevent backdoors um, so this, this, so we're having like an IAM deny policy, like at an organizational level, this can kind of stop, um, developers or anyone else introducing like resources that could potentially open up like security holes or, or vulnerabilities. Um, so we can, you could actually stop this sort of thing being created in the first place. Um, so yeah. So, for, for example, an organization wants to ensure only central admins um, can create projects in a folder and can add an IAM deny policy. So that can restrict all users from creating projects like except central admin. And this can help ensure like, no backdoor users will be allowed to add additional, like change, modify policies or um, add additional ones. Um, another good thing, which um, I think uh, Lizzie would, would like... Would, We'll probably like about this is um, you can also prevent data exfiltration. Um, so um, with certain data, of course, you can get it to be classified and you can ensure like things like no plain text stuff um, gets, gets um, transmitted throughout the network in any way. Um, you can set things like to make sure that credit cards and other personal information is handled in, in a certain manner. Um, and you can assign this to, like, you can use these sort of policies in line with, I guess, your security standards, like um, your ISO 27001 and all that sort of thing, for example. Um, and you can also use this to basically demonstrate compliance. So, the, yeah, the best thing for me is, is uh, like, it's definitely going to simplify IAM administration, and it's going to be great um, for us to basically properly like, handle onboarding and offboarding of people. Um, right, so you can just, if someone's leaving, you can throw a deny on, like, so you could block them completely right there before you've actually even gone and, like, removed their accounts or anything. Just- Correct. Yep. Yep. I was just going to say, I was having a look at the, like, the order of um, assessment there. And, yeah, so, like, all the denies are checked out first. So, anytime mm-hmm. you go to do anything, it'll go through and say, is there, you know, any deny rules that will apply for what you're trying to do? No, okay, that's fine. We move on to like the, uh, you know, the explicit allows. But uh, as soon as you hit a deny, it's you're done. So, yep, it exits. Mm-hmm. You get a match and exit. Yeah, that's yep. yep, that's correct. So, um, and you can also like create exceptions to like access grants. So, for example, you can grant grant a role at a high level, um, 
and then deny the role's permissions on a lower level. So that way you can deny inherited permissions, basically. Um, so if you try to, to in, 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 import like your own permissions, the organi- at the organisation level, it can, it can block that from happening. Oh, gotcha. Right. So I might have, I don't know, I might be able to do something at the org level in like any projects, but if you get down to a tree like this particular project, Dave can't do anything. No, no, this that's correct. No, this is the no Dave's right. project. Right. Correct. That, that is where the power is because mm-hmm. you can remove a privilege and it's no longer inherited. Correct. Yep. Ah, excellent. And um, yep. as we also both know, Google loves using tags. So you can also block access based on a tag. So you can actually set your own policies based off tags and then block the access to that tag. Um, ah, so, okay. for example, if you tagged a um, project that's development, um, you, you can set policies regarding development and you can set policies regarding prod. I'll link the blog article in the show notes, but uh, it does break down what a policy would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can have uh, some deny rules and you can list the principles uh, that are in that rule and the conditions for it. Um, and one pretty straightforward. Yeah. And one other cool thing too, I think, which we all also would love uh, that we would love is um, Terraform have a module for this in beta. All right, well, I'm looking forward to checking that out and giving it a go, and uh, it's certainly going to make things a lot easier if you just put a blanket deny in and you know then where you start, where your starting point is. All right, cool, let's move on. Um, Another one, Ricky, that uh, we came across during the week um, was this thing with the ASX. Um, Now... I admittedly, I'm not, I'm not a blockchain crypto guy. I think Dave's our standing blockchain crypto guy. <laughs> Un- but, unwilling um, blockchain crypto. Uh, <laughs> unwilling. Uh, but Ricky, you pointed this one out to me. The ASX to cut up to 200 contractors from blockchain project. What is going on here? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm a blockchain guy. I'm just not a crypto guy. <laughs> I think, I think blockchain. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. So. A couple of years ago, I think when like the blockchain was was, um, was getting really hyped and realizing there was a couple of good use cases um, when it comes to like international like um, foreign like trading and um, currency exchange and and, and so forth. Um, so the ASX um, currently use a system called Chess, which handles all of their transactions and all their trades. Um, the system is getting a bit dated, so they were looking at it in a, a replacement. Um, so they were looking at a blockchain replacement. Um, I think they had sorted out a contractor and had a sort of a solution. Um, two years down the track, um, it hasn't delivered. Um, and, and, and look, after an audit, um, I think that was done by Deloitte, it looks like it, it, will, it won't deliver. Um, so... So the decision means, yeah. And is that, is that just because of the fizzing of blockchain? Like everyone got hyped about blockchain. We've got to use blockchain everywhere. We've got to use it everywhere. And now we realise it's, uh, it's not such a big deal no, after all. Uh, it was, no, in this sort of use case, um, it was a bit more than, than, than hype. It was actually a couple of, um, like, I guess, exchanges are already currently looking at solutions like this. And, and I also know for a fact that even, like, our, our banks are looking at, like, crypto sort of solutions. Um, so in my opinion, it was a, it's a, it was a good idea. Um, but as, as we know, like with the hype, everyone says, oh, you can do this and you can do that and you can do that. But the thing is, there's still so many technical problems that need to be solved before this becomes a reality, like within a major corporation, you know, 
like mm-hmm. it, like you can get like a startup and everything like that saying, yep, we're doing this and they can show an MVP and stuff like that. But when we're talking about something as critical as the ASX, um, they really need to be able to handle the amount of transactions. Well, where was your real benefit of having a distributed ledger? Well, yeah, yeah, that's correct. And the other thing is too, when it comes to a blockchain, it's significantly slower, like um, like your, your transaction times per second is significantly slower than a traditional database. Um, and, yeah, and, we, and what about the compute resources to 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 do it? Correct. I mean, yeah. it's more compute, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think they realised like the idea was okay, but to be able to technically deliver, um, yeah, they need they needed to go back to the drawing board. Um, so what they've decided to mm. do instead is um, just put more investment into their current system until they can come up with a more viable solution. Right. Yeah, so the wash-up is the Access had a total of about 300 people working on the now-cancelled project, Mm -hmm. of which one-third were permanent staff and two-thirds were contractors. Um, So, yeah, it turns out blockchain isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah, so they're talking about the decision means a $255 million um, pre-tax write-off, basically, for its first half-year results. Oh, is that just wow. because they had to buy more Oracle licenses? <laughs> <laughs> Astronomical waste of money. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe. They might have learnt something in the process, but yeah. it's an ex- Maybe, maybe. It's an expensive inv- investigation pr- um, process anyway. It was. And if we could get approval for a POC for that much, that'd be great. That's what, that's what about 30 minutes on a GCVE node? <laughs> That's not that bad. <laughs> All right, look, let's move on. Um, Bruno Aziza, uh, he was in Oz recently, um, and he was interviewed by IT News. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's quite a, a good interview there. It's about 26 minutes. I watched it on double speed, by the way. Highly recommend doing that. <laughs> he goes into quite a few things. And Lizzie, I thought this was your wheelhouse. Um, and it's quite apt that you're on the show once again. Um, did you take a chance to listen to this interview at all? Yeah, I have had a listen. Um, yeah, no, it's really insightful. It's great to listen to Bruno and hear about what he thinks about, you know, some of the the general trends in the data analytics uh, space on the cloud and also about um, all of the awesome uh, updates coming through on Google Cloud. Um, he mentioned at the start of the interview when they were sort of talking about kind of trends and data analytics, which um, definitely sort of jumped out at me as, you know, what we've been seeing in Australia sort of recently. Um, I think one of those is the move towards sort of democratizing data access amongst organizations. So rather than you know, having a, a data analytics team within an org who are responsible for doing all of the data analysis and sort of dishing out the insights. It's now they're trying to democratize that so that it's um, everyone's responsibility. Everyone can access data and, and perform their own analytics. And in that way, um, you can really get, you can accelerate your journey towards becoming a more data-driven uh, organization. Um, and then the, the second one is around um sort of enhancing trust in data. So that kind of goes hand in hand with the data democratization. If you're sort of decentralizing it, how can you ensure that people can actually trust the insights that they're gaining? So yeah, Bruno made some um, good points around how that should really come first, you know, before 
before you sort of do anything else in your data platform build, you should be laying a really strong foundation for data governance. And um, yeah, Google Cloud has some great products around that. Um, they've got Data Catalog and they've also got um, Dataplex, which Data Catalog is now part of. And within that sort of suite of products, you've got um, tools that help with, yeah, managing all your metadata, um, data sort of discover um, discoverability and searchability, data lineage, um, things like access control down to the cell level. So, yeah, really, really awesome products. Excellent. It's interesting you pointed that out because um, <clears throat> that first thing you made uh, is is and me being you know everyone knows I'm not a data guy, but that that grabbed me as well, right? There's a, and this is what he says: there's a kind of convergence of a few a few big trends that people need to pay attention. The first one is the idea that you need to have systems that allow you to have limitless access to just about any data, and that's what you're talking about there, right? The democratization of data where anyone in the organization can get access to that data. Yep. Yep. That's right. And it's not just, yep. you know, the traditional sort of structured data that you get in a data warehouse. Um, and it's not sort of, yeah, traditional data marts. There's the need to serve out, yeah, all sorts of data unstructured through to unstructured for all those different analytics use cases. I really love the idea though of actually pushing the ability to draw those insights out into the business itself to the, the people who are actually at the coalface who are you're working in marketing you're working at a manufacturing floor like being able to open things up so the people who actually really actually need that data are able to use it and draw that themselves instead of having to go to you know some uh you know, like an ivory tower data team to produce me the report <laughs> so like <laughs> letting people you know get it themselves because the people actually kind of know how the business is running. Well, it makes it more meaningful them too, mm-hmm. right? And it gives gives value to that to that people getting that data. I know, and this is just my sort of little example of this. Um, when I was in operations, obviously, there's a lot of la- alarming data happening, right? All all the all the devices are going off, and it's all going into one big collector, right? And there was constant. Well, I'm not going to say pressure, but there's a constant need to reduce the number of alarms right that were happening, and and we as the operation team didn't have access to that database, that data set, mm-hmm. right? It was all looked after by some alarming group, and they're the only ones that had access to it. And I said, "Well, can I actually get access to the raw data? Can I see what's going on?" And they, you know, they made it happen. I got access to it, and immediately as soon as I was able to see it, I said, "Well, this one network interface is." alarming two million times a day mm-hmm. right so let's go and fix that and bang reduce the number of alarms immediately right yeah so that's that's the kind of result you can get yeah that's what i like yeah. like about this sort of solution like and i think i looked at, um, briefly into dataplex and one of the good things about it is it can help reduce these sort of silos of data like with within an organization so like Mm. I, I've been to a couple of hackathons where they basically have a particular problem and they give you the data set and stuff like, and they say, here you go, how can we solve this problem with this data? Um, but one of the things we found was is that some departments don't really like sharing their, their data um, with other departments for various reasons. Um, so yeah, getting, that, getting that access was, was difficult, but the best thing I like about it from a security perspective is with Dataplex, you can set policies where I can give you my data minus the bits that you don't need. 
So, for example, if you need to solve a problem, you don't necessarily need to have personal information. Um, you, you basically can then just set policies. Okay, this is, this is all the data that you need to solve the problem. This is where you can access it and bang, where you go. And it takes, kind, of, kind of takes yeah. that risk, risk out of it. He, he goes into um, talking about Looker as well. Now, I know you know a little bit, a bit about Looker, um, Lizzie. Um, he says, we have over 10 million monthly active users on our product called Looker which is our business intelligence self-service solution. So what's the deal with Looker? Mm-hmm. So the Looker that he's referring to there is actually um, Looker Studio, which was formerly known as Data Studio or Google Data Studio. So recently at Google Cloud Next, they announced they're combining Looker, which is um, their sort of uh, data plat- big data platform with Looker Studio, which is more of a sort of a business intelligence tool. Um, and by combining them, they both sort of bring their own strengths. So uh, Looker itself has this really strong uh, semantic data model where you can get your engineers to define, you know, business metrics and a single source of truth. Um, and then you can have analysts sort of access those metrics and um, basically it'll kind of compile the query with the um, the metric logic and then I guess the the contents of the query that the the analysts bring um, so that's a really powerful model that looker provides but um combining that with looker studio which is like a really nice and really popular dashboarding tool um, means that you can build yeah really awesome dashboards off of those semantic layer models so um, yeah it's a it's a powerful combination. A powerful combination that I wish I understood. <laughs> I, must, I must say, I love a really good graph and a really good dashboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker for it as well. Um, awesome, guys. Look, it's a 27-minute interview. We're not going to go down and break down every, every nuance in that. Go, but go and have a listen. Um, you can listen to it on double speed. It works just fine. <laughs> And if you want to find out about that, you can talk the previous episodes of the show. We've talked about that. Bruno is he's he's the head of Google Cloud Data and Analytics. Um, yeah, and uh, he does do a a show as well. And now I had to go and hunt for this. Um, he does a show called uh, Data Journeys. Um, now, when he talks about it in the um, in the interview, he makes it sound like it, it's a podcast. It is a podcast of sorts, but it's not a podcast in the traditional sense, what it actually is, it's in the Google Cloud YouTube channel and it's a playlist that they maintain in the YouTube channel uh, and you'll find uh, 28 episodes to date uh, on uh, Data Journeys. Um, He talks to uh, data engineers, data execs, um, people that are in um, big data environments um, about their journey into cloud data and what they've done to sort of, you know, holistically bring their um, data lakes, data, you know, modernize their data environments, I guess is be the exp- best explanation for it. I'll link that in the show notes because it took, it was a little bit tricky for me to find that and it might be a bit easier for you to find with a link. All right, we'll move on to the last segment for today, and uh, we haven't done a what is it for a while, 
And uh, I'd been bugging Dave, come on, Dave, let's do a what is it, let's do a what is it. But, you know, we've got projects going on and everything. But Dave's managed to scrape something together. And uh, we haven't heard from you much on this episode, Dave, but you're going to tell us all about chaos engineering. What's it all about, mate? <laughs> yes, actually, it's been nice to uh, let some other people fill the void. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I wanted to do something a little bit different with our what is it today. Um, you know, we went quite deep when we did our DevOps one and a HubSpoke one. So... What I thought I'd do is I'd give a little, little bit of a primer on chaos engineering, but then just open the floor about like some potential experiments that people can do in their own environments and how to like improve your resiliency. But at a high level, chaos engineering is the discipline of experimenting on a system in order to build confidence in the system's capability to withstand turbulent conditions in production. Now, where this kind of came out from is like Netflix is is famous for it. They're like the the case study in chaos engineering in that they came up with a, a system which is now expanded significantly, but originally, which was just called Chaos Monkey. And Chaos Monkey's job was to go and kill an instance in AWS at pseudo random. <laughs> um and the reason why it would do this is it's very hard to actually determine how your environment will handle when things just randomly go wrong. And if you're in a cloud and you're not controlling all of the underlying infrastructure, sometimes Amazon is going to make your uh, instance go away, <laughs> especially if you're using spot instances, stuff like that. So yep. Chaos Monkey was one of their first experiments. Um, and then that's kind of grown out to what is a uh, the Simeon army, which is like an additional bunch of tools. So like Chaos Monkey will kill an instance, but then there'll be other ones that might be like, you know, make it makes a load balancer go away or an interface gets shut down or services get terminated randomly. And they sort of build out these tools. Um, they even got to the point they've got like Chaos Kong and Chaos Kong will make a whole AWS region go away. Right? So, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so for Netflix, all right, well, like the entire West Coast of the US is, just, is gone. How do we handle it? Um, the thing that I really like about the concept of chaos engineering is by by doing it a lot, by operating in production and making parts of your production environment go away, you get very good at handling those sorts of incidences. Like, because those things are going to happen anyway, right? Like, you're going to lose parts of your environment. You're going to you're going to build a system that uh, you're like, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to make this HA. I'm going to I've got I've got like I've I don't know, think of a, a firewall appliance. I've got two of them. They're in HA and they've got a, a heartbeat between them and I never have to worry about them going away. But if you never actually test it, you never actually prove it, you never just randomly kill one and then realize that the other one won't fail back because you've now got some random split brain situation because you never tested it. <laughs> Chaos yep. Engineering helps you actually build that confidence that when the things inevitably go wrong, you'll know about it your systems will handle it and you know we can all get back on with our days um so if you're constantly doing this you're constantly testing it right you're constantly doing it exactly right um and things can can happen at random right that's to you don't just want to like oh we kill one of our web servers and yeah that's how we test we test that one web server goes away like no well maybe you know you've got a database instance like what happens if your db's down for a period of time right um what happens if uh you just don't have redis for a little bit (laughs) Mm. um and so you'll know right by by you know you're building out these experiments and and testing them um 
Yeah, so like I've seen this done uh, at one organization. They they took the idea that they wanted to have a little bit of uh, chaos in the system all the time. They didn't want to be too stable because when you're too stable, and this is like a again like SRE concepts about error budgets, right? You don't if you've got an error budget of um, uh, so let's say you're going for like three nines availability, but for the last few months, you've been sitting like 100% uptime. You've never gone down. Well, your downstream customers will start relying on you being up all the time. They'll write their downstream applications, assuming you're always going to be there. <laughs> uh, and when you do have that va- that outage, it's going to be way more damaging for you and for them. So their apps won't be resilient in they that respect. They won't be resilient. Yeah. So yep. this organization, I know, they took the uh, the thinking that, okay, in our Kubernetes environment, no node is going to be up for more than three days. Right, so they 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 had self rolled Kubernetes on EC two instances. So every three days they would kill a node. Right, um, so no pod could be up for more than three days. Right, so it helped for their developers because the developers at the very early stage of building out their applications, well, my my pods are never up for long. Right, so I need to be able to handle that as I'm writing out my application. Now, Perfect. now yeah. this can actually have. <laughs> This can introduce its own problems because what happens if your system for killing nodes isn't there? It, it breaks for some other reason because you didn't test that very well, right? So what happens if all of a sudden that node's been up for a week and those pods that have been up for a while start running out of memory because you've got memory leaks <laughs> that you never that detected? You, didn't know about. <laughs> you, never, yeah. you never knew that were there. So like you can actually introduce like other problems, but... <laughs> Um, I, I find it to be like a a very interesting approach, and like it's it, it's not something I've ever been able to do from like a VMware perspective. I've never been able to like kill just an ESXi node, <laughs> um, in any environment of mine. Just as like I haven't been able to do that, like the Kubernetes guys were able to do. Yeah, but I could see a situation where you could do it. Right, you can ensure like because if you're, I've seen this go wrong on um, like VMware environments where uh, the environments were very stable, and so VMs didn't have to migrate around very much, right? And if they don't, then all of a sudden you start finding you've got a VM that then can't vMotion, and when it does, it breaks. So forcing that bit of chaos into your system, forcing that change, can can really help with your uh, your sort of ongoing resiliency. Yeah, I, I really I really like like this. Um, also, it's also good to test your disaster recovery, um, and I think a disaster recovery policy or scenario, sh- and you should come up with different sort of scenarios and test them against different scenarios. So, one a good test is to say, okay, say we did go down, say we d- we did lose a lot of data, how quickly can we recover? You know, Rick, I think that's like completely right. A lot of companies um, and teams will kind of pay lip service to their DR tests. They're like, oh, we've got to do one this year. Oh, let's, we'll just do a tabletop one this year. We won't actually do it. We're all kind of busy. And so your DR plan gets stale <laughs> and your confidence in it goes down. Um, yeah. And no one knows how to actually do it. You might not have, you know, the staff that wrote it have moved on or and you've got new guys there that have never actually done one. Yeah. And a lot of those yeah. DR plans are only tested against a few scenarios. It doesn't really take into account, like, all the, the scenarios or something that you, you may not have ever thought of. So, but 
by deliberately break, breaking yeah. it, well, that, you, know, you could come up with those. That's probably going to be the case, though, mm-hmm. right? When you're recovering, it doesn't matter what you've written down, when you're recovering, it's, it's going to be completely outside of that. Yep. So it has to be written in a way where there's enough info there that you know a smart operator can pull it together and, and, and bring it back from the dead. I mean, I touched on this before, but like I've also seen like DR uh, documentation just assume that in a HA uh, environment, one side of it's still going to be there. <laughs> Like, yeah. they'll just oh it'll be fine because yes we're, we've uh we had two uh two zones and we've uh, deployed a thing in one in each zone and uh if one zone goes away we're just going to be fine right, okay what are you going to do if both go away yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um so does chaos engineering also like kind of take into account the situation you guys talked about last week like what happens if i like want to chaos engineer and loosen a couple of screws on a couple of coasters in the data center <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that'd well, be an not? interesting. Uh, you need to have a, um, like one of those uh, Boston Dynamics robots <laughs> just go around and do physical uh, chaos monkey in your environment. <laughs> yeah, whenever I hear the word chaos engineering, I just think of like uh, a huge collection of servers, and they're all doing some task, and then you know one just gets turned off, just just gets turned off, pretty much, right? and yeah. and. It should be fine. Everything should just keep humming along and then boots back up mm. or stays out and then just another one just turns off. Mm. Another. You know, yeah. And then just, that's. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that you could actually think about as, as a, another benefit of chaos engineering is if you build your system to be able to handle these failures like really well, it starts opening the doors to like, well, maybe I can switch shift to, you know, spot instances. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then your costs could just go through yeah. the floor. That's that's immediately what I'm thinking. I, I I've got my own personal web server running on an on a an instance, and I'm thinking, well, if I put on spot instances, it'd be a lot cheaper. I just don't. Need, I would only need two in a managed managed uh, you know a, a, a management managed group behind a load balancer. Yeah, mm, well, they were like ninety percent cheaper. cheaper. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, so- yeah. From a security perspective, yeah, I'd like to um like simulate different sort of attacks. So denial of service attack. Um, uh, like a like a backdoor virus sort of, sort of attack, that and those those sort of things. Yeah, well, and you can do mm. that if you're like you're sort of managing your error budget again. That the mm. SRE concept, like okay, doing some we're going to do some fault injection here. Like what I'm, we can have a latency spike up between these two systems or. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. So that's so that's right. So yeah, with with the so I guess the bigger the error budget, the more risk you can take. Yeah, and mm. and if you've been sitting at one hundred percent for a while, well, maybe think about uh, <laughs> spending some of that budget. Yeah, yeah. You just finally tune it so that you still come within budget, but your servers are you know going up and down in, in a chaotic means, in a chaotic way. Chaos as a service. Chaos as a service. <laughs> yeah, I think some organisations it'll be hard pressed to um, for them to Ooh, think yeah. to think this is a good idea. When <laughs> for sure, you, in a brownfield estate, like to go in and go, hey, say to your, your CTO, hey, I'm just going to go kill like Oracle for a bit. <laughs> yeah, like don't do it's that. Gonna go, don't start do shutting down all these VMs. Yeah, yeah. but if you, if you but if you're building out a greenfield estate, especially uh, we'll touch back on like on cubes. But like if you're doing yeah. an experiment where you go, actually, you know what? We you know we're we're going to start modernizing our application stack. We're going to start using Kubernetes. Well, 
if you if you're starting to build what are essentially now greenfield estates, think about building this in from the start. Mm-hmm. Yep, hundred percent. Yep. Mm. Don't just assume you need to have stateful sets. <laughs> yeah, and and developing your app to to function under those conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely one to think about. Um, and uh, it's it's a it's a paradigm shift, especially for a big enterprise. That there's an absolute paradigm shift. Yeah. You, wait a minute. You want to have less resiliency? You want to take our things down? Like, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a very different uh, uh, thing. But ironically, results in better uptime for sure. Yeah. Yeah. In, if, in if, the long run, it reduces looked- the impact of of actual outages. Yeah, and I-, I bet if you know if the if the app lasted for ten years and you looked over looked at it over a ten year life cycle, for sure, for sure there'd be a better uptime, and it allows you to to um to take more risks and and, and innovate and introduce more features quicker. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. That's Chaos Engineering 101. Um, I'm definitely going to have a think about that, especially with the spot instances. That's 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 a real real uh, food for thought there. But uh, look, guys, thanks for joining me today. Lizzie, thanks. It's been great having you on the show. And uh, we, we're going to go and soak up that all-star business. <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> and Rick, thanks for your security insights today and the updates on Medibank. And uh, listen, guys, go and uh, give us a re- review on iTunes. That'll really help the show out. Uh, go and check out Kasna Between Two Clouds. You can contact the show, gcplife at kasna.com. And we still have a Twitter account, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I guess unfortunately. <laughs> at GCP Live. Uh, the website, you can just Google that. And, of course, today's sponsor was Kasna. At Kasna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. That's about it from me. You guys got anything else to say? No, it's all very quiet. (laughs) Yeah, it's all very quiet. I'm looking at the timer here, guys. Well over an hour. What a show. What a bumper show. It's Um, it's been good. We're getting to that tail end of the year. The news Mm -hmm. cycles are are winding down. Everyone's getting ready for Christmas. (laughs) I think so. Everyone's putting their Christmas, uh, Christmas hats on. Thanks for joining me today, guys, and we'll catch you all in two weeks. Bye. See ya. See ya. See ya. Paul D. Love and Bruno Azaz. I'm really looking forward to our clip show next week. <laughs> <laughs> Aziza? 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 Right, okay.